You know, over the, the past year, we've been talking about prioritizing God's call to engage intentionally and in meaningful ways in relationship. We believe that we are called to community. Uh, at Neighborhood Church, we say that community is our core. It's the foundation of, of who we are and what we do. And so we, we believe that we're, we're called to lean into relationship. We're called to, to push outside of ourselves and to find ways to encourage one another. But, you know, in the midst of, of understanding that God has created us to live together in community, I can't re- remember a time where relationships were more strained, where we find ourselves in more different places. You know, this, this past year has, has done a lot to separate people. It's thrust us into a place of uncertainty. And whether you were physically separated from people by social distancing or whatever it was, or whether you felt your relationships being strained by differing opinions and thoughts on what's right and what's wrong. People were on different, different places with, with masks and vaccinations. And, you know, right now we, we, it seems we're divided on, you know, whether or not you should light fireworks off because of, of fear of, of forest fires or whether you should shout America at the top of your lungs and, and know that the 4th of July is meant to blow stuff up. We've found ourselves in different places and finding plenty of reasons to disagree. And division has has come as a result of these differing views and opinions that we face. You know, today I'm reminded that this great country was not founded on principles of fear, isolationism, or division. No, no, no. The United States was instead founded on an understanding that courage is best displayed in the midst of uncertainty, that we, our commonalities are what bind us together in relationship, and that the power of we makes us stronger together. Today, I pray we can remember that God has created each of us uniquely in his image, and that he has called us to live together in unity. Today's message I've just simply entitled, We the People. We the People. You know, when, when taking stock and, and thinking about where America is on her 245th birthday, I think we can, we can all admit that our country is far from perfect. We've got plenty of work to do. There's, there's plenty of conversations that need to be had. There's things that need to be addressed. There's areas that, that we need to grow in as people and as a nation. But today, I, I, I pray that we can remember God's goodness. Because if we hearken back to those moments in U.S. history class, we can be reminded of the forefathers' purpose in drafting the Constitution of the United States, declaring the independence that we celebrate today. The very preamble of the Constitution lays it out for us. We, the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity. Do ordain and establish this constitution for the United States of America. They got it. They understood that we were a nation of we. Or perhaps we should be reminded by the words of the Declaration of Independence. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, 
But they are endowed by the creator with certain unalienable rights. That among these are life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness. We hold these truths. We. I'm struck all these years later that the founders, the framers of our country, flawed and fallible as they were, saw the strength and importance found in we. They understood that a collective was stronger than individual. You know, too often in life, we, we can quickly slide into that, that place and that urge to get the me before the we. And we tend to see the world through a narrow lens and focus on the things that we need and that we need to pursue and that we hope for. And it's me, 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 and I, I got to get this, and I got to get that, and I got to figure this out, and I got to get to this place in the workplace. And we get focused on only the things that impact me and those I love. You know, today we need to remember the incredible elements of community found in God's design of we. Our text today is found in Ephesians chapter 2. If you have your Bibles, you can flip there. If you are following along on a mobile device, you can go to the YouVersion Bible app and search Neighborhood Church under Events. You'll find us there. But in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus, and he says this, Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, you used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. But God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much, that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we're united with Christ Jesus. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness towards us. As shown in all he has done for us, we're united with Christ Jesus. Verse 8, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he has planned for us long ago. Father, I thank you. I thank you that you saw us, that you loved us, and you saved us. You sent your son so that we could have life, and we could have freedom, we could have relationship with you. We ask today, Father, that you would remind us of the plan and purpose that you've created us for, that you would show us what it means to be followers of Jesus, and that you would bring us back to this place of community, understanding that we are stronger together, and that you desire for us to move in relationship with you. God, we love you. We thank you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, in this, in this passage of Scripture, Paul re, is reminding the church of Ephesus of God's great mercy and his grace. 
He's reminding them literally that it's not because they're great. That it's nothing that they've done that's earned them salvation. It's, it's nothing that they've done that has, has given them the ability to come to a place of receiving God's grace. But instead, Paul's reminding us that it's God's grace, great mercy and grace that is given to us. And he rebukes the church saying, it's not your good works, it's only God. And then Paul points out to us that embracing an understanding of what it means to live together in unity in Christ is really the point. That God desires that we would come together, that we would receive the free gift salvation, the grace, the mercy, and then we would live together in harmony. We would show people his love. First he deals with the me, and then he deals with the we. First he deals with the me. Don't get too excited about the things that you've done, the works that you've done, all the things that you've done in God's name. Don't, don't get too excited about those things because it's not about works. We see in Scripture that our righteousness, the things that we look at and we say, yes, I've done these good things. In God's eyes, they're filthy rags. And yet, he then points us to the we, calling us to be humble and valuing community, valuing relationship, valuing the opportunity to speak into the lives of people. You know, there's three simple principles that will help us Stay in a place of prioritizing a community of we. The first thing is this, be kind. Simply be kind. Because kindness leads to repentance. You know, I know this this principle seems somewhat obvious and a little bit like, yeah, yeah, should be kind. Perhaps it's even like a, a sticker that you'd put on the inside of your windshield to remind you when you're sitting in traffic and you're gripping the steering wheel extra tight going, (laughs) maybe it's just that little gentle reminder of of how you're supposed to behave in that moment. Maybe that's just for me. The reality is all too often, kindness tends to go out the window when we face stress or difficulty or hardship in life or we feel like we've been wronged by someone. Kindness is just, no, no, no. This person's done me wrong again. This person's breached my trust. This person's hurt me. The situations of life have always just wrecked me. And we get to that place where we struggle to find kindness, to give it, much less to receive it. But Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32 Paul says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ forgave you. Be kind, be compassionate. Place yourself in someone else's shoes. Put yourself in their life for a day or a moment and understand that they're struggling, understanding they're just desperate for hope, for peace, for strength. You know, we will face adversity in life. That's for sure. But we've been called to kindness, understanding that we've been forgiven by God. 
called to kindness because we've been forgiven. Because God showed us kindness. Kindness is one of those forces in the midst of interactions that has the ability to disarm people. Have you ever noticed that? That kindness has the ability to just kind of settle the situation? I found this to be true when I'm umpiring a baseball game on a baseball diamond, and you know, the coach gets a little bit amped up, and they come out, they come charging out of the dugout. You just kind of put your hand up, and you say, hey, 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 hey. Oh, we can, we can have a conversation. We can talk about this. Just you know, chill out. You know. Kind of, you know, mellow out. Or, you know, when I was in college, I had a job at a, at a car wax company. Worked in customer service. I was in a call, you know, call center, customer care center, and I, I wore a little headset like this. I'd sit on the phone all day and get calls from disgruntled people. It was awesome. Hey, I'm happy to hear from you, too. They'd call up the number and they'd be like, "Dirt wax, snagged wagon, you get, you can fill in the fill in the gaps." But it was always colorful, exciting. And I remember when I first got the job and somebody'd start cussing at me and ripping, you know, you guys and this and that and you're stupid and this stuff doesn't work. I remember I'd be like, "You know what? You can't talk to me like that. I'm not going to listen to you cuss to me." You know click. I didn't handle it real well. Kindness was probably not the first thing that was gushing out of my heart. And then I started to understand, okay, I can, I can, I can build a bridge. I can win somebody over. I can build rapport. I can show kindness. And once they get done with their cussing, you know, sometimes you just have to wait for somebody to take a breath. <gasps> hey, you know, I'm here for you. I just want you to know that I'm going to take care of you. I understand you're frustrated, and I totally get it. And I want you to know we're going to get this right. We're going to make it right. All of a sudden, the whole climate changes in the conversation. And we come to this place where, with kindness, we can disarm people and their frustration and their anger. You know, when we're reminded that God first showed us kindness, it should cause us to strive to do the same for others. God loved us first. It wasn't that we loved him. He loved us. He sent his son so that we could have life. So we should be willing to share the same kindness and compassion and love that's been shown us. Romans chapter 2, verse 4 says, Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? The NIV says, God's kindness is intended to lead you to a place of repentance, understanding that God has shown us compassion. He's shown us kindness because he loves us. Kindness, forbearance, patience, all words that we'd all just grab hold of and say, yes. But too often it's hard. It's hard to be patient with people. It's hard to want to show compassion. It's hard to be long-suffering when people are not treating us the way that they should. I saw this quote on a website the other day. It says, kindness is choosing to acknowledge and celebrate the beauty in others, regardless of whether or not they can find it in themselves. 
Do you know there's people out there that are just unhappy? Do you realize there's people that are just struggling through life, just trying to make it through a day? And kindness is probably not the first thing that's on their mind. But we can still show it. We can still give it. We can still come alongside of people. Because the more we offer kindness, even to those who don't deserve it, the more we can reflect the love and the person of Jesus. I'm telling you, there's nothing else the world needs. When push comes to shove, what does it really cost us to be kind? What does it cost you? At best, the emotional investment in someone else's life. I got to kind of give them myself. I maybe have to listen a little bit longer than I wanted to. I know I've got this thing I got to do, but. So at best, maybe it's the emotional investment, the time, the gift of attention. At worst, it might cost you your pride. It's not so bad. So we've got to come to the place of being willing to be kind to people and show them the love of Jesus. The second thing is this, offer grace. Offer grace, because forgiveness is the greatest force of freedom that exists in the world. It is. We just talked about it. We just celebrated it. We just reminded ourselves of the forgiveness that was given to us. Offer grace. It is the unearned gift that was offered to us by God. Grace. And we're called to forgive others the same way that we've been forgiven. It's not optional. Like, ah, if you feel like it, make sure you forgive. Oh, you know, the sun's out. I think I'll forgive. Ah, the commute to work was actually shorter today. I think I'll forgive. It's not based on circumstance. It's based in the foundational aspect of who Jesus is. He loved, he gave, he forgave. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. What? You have to get rid of the bitterness, the rage, the anger, the harsh words, and the slander, the evil behavior. Instead, be kind tenderhearted, forgiving. It's interesting to me that Paul points out that being kind and tenderhearted makes it easier to forgive. Have you ever met anybody who's walking around in unforgiveness and anger and frustration and talking about people and gossiping people, and then they're just like, hey, I just want to show kindness. No. It blocks our ability to show kindness to people. If we're walking around in unforgiveness, if we're struggling through rage and anger and we're gripped by bitterness, kindness is not the first thing that's going to come out of our heart. Not only is forgiveness the greatest gift we can receive, but it's a force of freedom when it's given to others. We're called to forgive 
even when people haven't asked for it. We're called to show grace even when people don't deserve it. Forgiving others releases us from the burden of carrying the wrong. You understand that? When we forgive, we release the burden of carrying that weight of the wrong and the things that have been done to us and the hurt that's, that's, that's been done. We give it to God. We say, you know what? I don't want to carry this around anymore. It's affecting me. I choose to forgive. And God is desiring to take the burdens of our own sin and the hurts inflicted upon us, upon himself. He desires that we release those things to him. We, he desires that we forgive and we take our hands off and we say, I'm not, I'm not going to carry this around anymore. But in order to experience true freedom, we must be willing to forgive. We must be willing to offer grace. Rick Warren says, and you know, when you've experienced grace and you feel like you've been forgiven, you're a lot more forgiving of other people. You're a lot more gracious to others. When you realize that you've been forgiven, when you realize that the things that you've done in life when you step into right relationship with Jesus are washed out, it should bring us to a different perspective to say, oh, yeah, I should probably give that to someone else. I should probably offer that same grace. So we've got to be willing to be kind. We've got to be willing to offer grace. And then finally, we've got to be willing to show love. We have all these commandments in Scripture. but What is the greatest one? Love. You know, every one of these principles is one that requires a conscious and intentional decision. Choosing to love people is no different. It's a choice. We make a choice every day to step out in love or to step back in judgment or criticism. And there's plenty of that going on. You don't have to look too far to see how divided our country is. And yet, God says, if, if my people who are called by not my name will humble themselves and pray, I'll heal their land. Are we willing to humble ourselves? Are we willing to pray for those who we really don't feel like praying for? Are we willing to show love when that's the last thing on earth we want to offer? You know, we've, we've dis- discussed in length that there are many people with whom we interact who are quite literally unlovable. We've, we've gone down that trail plenty of times. Unfortunately, I don't read anywhere in Scripture where that gets us off the hook. We don't get to say, well, you know, I tried to love, but they're not lovable. So, there you go. No, we don't get to do that. Galatians chapter 5, verse 13 says, For you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. You've been forgiven, not so you can go and sin again, and then be forgiven, and then sin again, and then be forgiven, and then sin again. You've been forgiven so you can serve other people in love. God's shown us grace so that we can offer it to other people. 
You know, I've done a, a lot of weddings over the years as a pastor. Weddings are fun. It's that kind of, you know, newness, you know. People are coming together in love. Love's budding. You know, love, love, love. And there's a passage of Scripture that always seems to make it into weddings. Probably know which one I'm talking about. 1 Corinthians 13. Yep, yep. You nailed it. 1 Corinthians 13 always makes it into the wedding. Because it's great. It's like a feel-good scripture. 1 Corinthians 13, 4. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It's not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. Keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Ah, oh, right? Don't you just feel better already? Just give yourself a little hug. Just take one of those little self-hugs. It just feels good. It's like poetic. I mean, Honestly, you can't read that and not say, wow, that's great. And yet you look at it and you go, well, that's impossible. Come on. Love is patient. Love is kind. It doesn't envy. It doesn't boast. It's proud. What? How am I supposed to do all those things? It doesn't dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. I have to step into all that in order to love people. You know, Paul is admonishing the church at Corinth in this passage of Scripture. He's trying to help them understand that their good deeds, their spiritual exercises, their massive faith, all those things are meaningless in the scope of eternity. He says all that stuff doesn't mean a thing if you don't love. You can... Do all the miracles. You can do all the awesome things. You can go and serve in the soup kitchen. You can go paint Clover Ridge. You can go do all these wonderful things. And if you don't love people, you might as well not do it at all. Because that's the truest sign of a follower of Jesus. Because God is love. His very nature is love. And then he finishes his thought. You get the poem part. And then he says, verse 8, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. It's love. In essence, strip everything else away from your life. All the other stuff doesn't matter. Faith, hope, and love are the only things that matter. Faith in Jesus, hope that we have an eternity with him, and loving people the way that God has loved us. The greatest, though, love. 
You know, as we come to this place of, of celebration today, it's important we remember God's greatest desire is for us to exist in the community of we. Desires that we would be connected. He desires that we would live together in relationship. He desires that we would come alongside of one another when we're in difficulty, that we would encourage one another when we need to be uplifted, that we would share hope in the face of hopelessness. After all, we've been called the body of Christ. So do we look like his body? It's like the age-old question in church. Do we look like the body of Christ? And all too often, I think we tend to get this wrong. Because what does it look like to look like the body of Jesus, the body of Christ? Let, rem- let me remind you, Jesus' body was bloodied and bruised before his resurrection. He was not pretty. The passion doesn't do it justice. Jesus was bloody bruised. And even after he rose from the dead on the third day, he was still scarred. Do you know that God's desire is that we would receive his forgiveness, purchased through the shed blood of Jesus, and then bear the scars of our life's story? Reflecting what it means be a follower of Jesus doesn't mean that you get all perfect and cleaned up and everything's neat and everything's nice and we just kind of prance around like there's nothing wrong. That's not life. When Jesus showed up to his disciples following his resurrection, what was the first thing he did? Thomas was doubting. Is that you, Jesus? Put your hands in my my hands, the holes, touch my side. He had the scars of where he had been broken. God's story in you is still being written. Are you willing to share your scars? Are you willing to share your story? Are you willing to show love knowing that you've been redeemed? God's desire is that we would receive his forgiveness, bear the scars of our life story, and then be willing to be kind, to offer grace, and to show love in order to point people to him. Would you bow your head with me this morning? Father, we thank you. We thank you that you loved us so much that you sent your son, that you saw fit to rescue us in our sin. Scripture says, well, we were still sinners, Christ died. You didn't wait for us to clean up. You didn't wait for us to fix ourselves. You didn't wait for us to look to you as an answer. You sent your son, and he died so that we could have life. Today, Father, I pray that, you would re- that we would receive that great act of love. And we would understand that you desire to share that love through each and every one of us. I pray that we would have the courage to answer the call, to live in community, to encourage people, to be willing to come to that place of 
of knowing what kindness looks like. That we'd be willing to, to offer grace to people whether they deserve it or not. And that each and every action of every day, Father, would reflect your love because of the way that we are loving people. Simple concepts, but so critically important. Help us to say yes to living in the context of we, context of community. Father, we need your help. We need your strength. We need your patience. We need courage. God, we need the ability to stay humble knowing what you've done for us. Help us, Lord. We worship you, Lord. This morning, if you are in that place where you've said, you know what, this all sounds great, and I like what I'm hearing, but I'm just not sure. Not sure where, where my life is at right now. I'm not sure which end is up. I've struggled through a lot of difficulty, a lot of heartache, a lot of disappointment, a lot of discouragement. And perhaps today you find yourself in that place of desperation just saying, I need an answer. I don't, have to, I don't claim to have all the answers, but I do know one thing. When I said yes to Jesus, it changed everything in my life. When I decided to follow him with my whole heart, everything changed. So this morning, if you are in that place, whether you're here in the house or you're tuning in online and you desire to step into relationship, you desire to make the decision to follow Jesus with your whole heart, we want to give you the opportunity to do that. We pray a prayer each week. There's no magic in the prayer. But Scripture says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that Christ was raised from the dead, you'll be saved. It doesn't mean that life immediately gets easy. It just gives you a hope outside of this life. It gives you a hope to understand that God is walking with you through each and every situation. So if it's your desire to make that decision today, we want to say this prayer together. We're going to say it as a church family and as a community so that nobody's singled out or embarrassed. But if you mean it today and you believe it in your heart, the Bible says you'll be saved. Can we say this together, church? Father God, please forgive me. I've sinned and I've made a lot of mistakes. I believe you, your son Jesus Christ, came to this earth to show me how to live. He died and was raised back to life so that I could have relationship with you. I ask you today to come into my heart to be the Lord of my life. Change the things in me I can't change as I choose to live for you today. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, we're celebrating freedom and independence today. But the greatest act of love, the greatest opportunity for freedom is the one we just prayed for. And Scripture tells us that if even one makes a decision to follow Jesus, that the angels in heaven celebrate, throw a party, 
So today, can we celebrate the decision that they have made to follow Jesus with their whole heart? I'm grateful to be together today, grateful to see all of your smiling faces, and grateful that we have the opportunity to celebrate what God is doing in our lives, in our families, in our city, in our state, in our country. I hope that you have a wonderful, restful day. It is, now that it's not 176 degrees out, I think we can enjoy the 4th of July. I've already given you your instruction on what's to go on the, on the, uh, the grill, so please make sure you get the right things on there. But we do hope that you have a wonderful day, pray that you have a wonderful uh, week this week. And as we continue to learn how to love people, let's in every moment be the neighborhood to those that we come in contact with. Have a wonderful fourth and a blessed week.